0: are you critically insane have a lot of excess money or even better both then you can support this podcast by clicking on the acar support button you can give as rarely and as little as you want which judging by the quality of this i'm sure you're wanting to do to a phd student reads episode two two it's the third one the first one was zero so therefore this one must be two and this month <laughs> um i've read batman again <laughs> volume six graveyard shift published by dc comics obviously on april 25th 2015 written by scott snyder with art by craig capullo I mean, it says that on the cover, but as you will see in the coming minutes, that's not entirely true. But alas, we will get there. Um, This is different from the other Batman um, trades uh, of this current run because it's more of an anthology book um, collecting uh, Batman number zero, 18 to 20. Twenty-eight and thirty-four. Supposedly the stories within the stories, but uh, if anything, it's just a kind of a random collection of, 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 of uh, single issues. Um, some good, some not so good. But you know, we'll get to that when the time comes. I'll basically just go story by story. That makes the most sense, doesn't it? So we start with number one. Bright New Yesterday, written by Scott Snyder, drawn by Greg Fullo, uh, Jonathan Glapian Glapian as the Inca, and FCO Placentia is the colourist. It's set during issue two of the Zero Year Secret City um, story, so that's volume four, if you're getting the trade paperbacks. Um, It's it's, it's okay. Nothing particularly special to report. The Red Hood Gang robs a bank. Realise that they've been infiltrated because Red Hood 5 is left-handed and is holding a gun in his right hand. Or is it the other way around? One or the other. Um, it ends right before the end of issue 2, where Red Hood Gang blows up Bruce's flat, um, under orders from Edward Nygma. Is what happens in volume 4 Bruce and Jim have a chat Jim has suspicions about Wayne Enterprises and warns Bruce Wayne about the new vigilante in Gotham obviously that vigilante is Bruce Wayne it's the early part of Zero Year where he's not Batman he's a guy that wears rubber masks of other people's faces so yeah it's okay I should probably say now that I am going to spoil I might probably provide light spoilers for each of these and therefore the entire book so if you haven't read it feel free to not listen to this read it listen when you come back i mean it's a collection of single issues with no real major twists in so you know you're not missing there's not really that much to spoil um but alas we will continue on with the second story tomorrow Written by James Tinian IV, with art by Andy Clark with S.E.O. Plotentia still on colours. So therefore, the um, title page, the cover of this volume of Scott Snyder and Cliff Willow, um, Yeah, I mean, in the previous one, uh, Volume 5, they had all of the different writers and artists written on the front, but this one, they're on the back. It says drawing Snyder and is an all-star lineup of special guests, including Andy Kubert, Alex Malieve, Andy Clark, Dustin Nguyen, Wes Craig, Mateo Escalera, James Tinian the Fourth, and Marguerite Bennett. Um why did you just put them on the front? I dunno. But alas. Um, so this one is also this is set five years ago from the main story, so if you volumes one to three of this particular run. It's set immediately post-zero year. It's a whistle-stop eight-page story of what the classic Bat family are up to. It starts with Jim bestowing the virtues of Batman on Barbara, on top of the building. Um, And then it cuts to Tim, who is even more of a mini-Bruce than he ever was before, using his detective skills and tech to figure out that his principal is embezzling money from the school and calls the police. Actually, he emails the police. Um, And then that's the end of that. It cuts to Jason, who is robbing a corner shop, um, where his accomplice shoots the store clerk. Um, So then Jason beats him up outside. Um, And then it cuts to Dick, who stops a guy stealing a handbag whilst on a tightrope. And then the bat signal switched on they all stare at it in absolute wonder like oh amazing wow a light with a bat on um then it cuts back to Barbara she's like mm, let me look at it for a while and then that's the end again nothing special to report it looked okay it was okay yeah there's nothing new here it's not as if some great new origin twist they're all exactly how one would imagine we then move on to number three, Resolve, which is one of the longer stories in this uh, trade paperback. It's featuring Harper Rowe, who was last seen in volume two, The City of Owls. Um, this is set a while after that. It's actually set after the death of Damian Wayne in Batman Incorporated number eight. Um, it sees an angry Batman tearing up Gotham City, whilst Harper is out looking him to make sure he's okay, as Harper cares. Batman's well-being after fighting some venom infused dogs um, some actually they're just there something for Batman to fight I guess um, with some some assistance from Harper um, Batman punches her and breaks her nose so she goes to Bruce Wayne um, where it seems to be common knowledge that he's funding Batman I don't I don't understand why this, everyone just seems to know, but maybe I missed that when reading these. But she asks Bruce for his help in helping Batman, which he agrees to. Um, it ends with a nice exchange between the future Bluebird and the Dark Knight himself um, about loss and pain, and and uh, she um, programs his lights on building to I presume write the word resolve you don't actually see the word you just see the r and he's like this means a lot it looks exactly like the robin r um it's got two creative teams so chapter one according to the uh, cover page is written by scott Snyder with art by andy Kubert, sandra hope as the inker and brad anderson as the colorist and then chapter two is snyder and tinian the are writing alex malieve is on art and nathan fairbo is the colorist but it's not really two chapters. You're sort of reading it and then you turn a page and the art is totally different. So, I don't know, there is one page where it's entirely black so perhaps that's where the chapters separate but Andy Kubrick's art continues after that for a bit. There's a great single full-page panel of Batman holding a guy by the scruffy's neck that would be very exciting. Um, I enjoyed this one it's better than the previous two and you don't necessarily need to know it was Damon who died. Um, so it's quite easy to follow. It's a sort of Batman story you could give to anyone, better who Batman is. But there's none, there's not really any of the supporting cast in it, other than Batman and Harper Row, which is pretty much reintroduced at the start. Um, we then move on to number four, Nowhere Man. Scott and Greg back together on this one with Danny Mickey's linker and FCO Cintia is still on colouring duties. This is another post-death of Robin story, but unlike Resolve, it sort of helps if you know it's Robin who's died. I mean, you don't necessarily need to know. Um, figure it out pretty quickly, um, but I think it helps with the emotional sort of Payoff of this brief Clayface story. Um, it sees Clayface evolving, as uh, Batman puts it, into having the ability to become anyone just by touching them. Um, so his plan is to become Bruce Wayne, cause havoc, and attempt to draw Batman out, and then touch Batman, and then uh, see, take up his DNA, and then change into whoever Batman is. Um, is another relatively simple story. Classic. Clayface story of him looking like different people and then going, Oh, it's Clayface, what a surprise. Um, it's got some good emotional Bruce and Alfred interactions as Alfred is worried that Bruce is losing himself, like he did with the uh, uh age old death of um Jason Todd. Um, uh, but there's a nice sort of they look back at their time with Damien for, for, for a short story. So, um, fits it in relatively well, but the best thing about this one is the bat suit. Um, They got got the normal bat suit in it, Um, but then Batman also wears this sort of like hazmat bat suit when fighting um, Slayface. That's quite cool. But the best bit is this prototype Batman Beyond suit that he puts on at one point. That's by far the best part of the entire thing. Um, So again, not as good as Resolve, but not as boring as um, the first two, I'd say. We then move on to Ghost Lights, which is written by James Tinian IV. Alex Malib back on art here for a full story. Two colourists in the form of Nathan Fairburn and Brad Anderson. Um it's a Batman and Superman magical caper, uh, who sees them teaming up to Well, they don't team up to fight a soul eating demon. Um they just happen to be together when a soul eating demon named the Will of the Wisps is summoned by a teenage girl. Uh, Ori is not involved in this. That's an Xbox video game joke there, Ori and Will of the Wisps. Um, but, um, yeah, that really wasn't that funny, was it? Uh, even I did laugh. And I laugh at my own jokes all the time. Um, it's okay. Superman isn't really necessary to the plot. He's sort of there to get Bruce to talk about Damien. Like if you took him out other than fighting uh, the demon whilst Bruce is doing some detecting. Um, He's certainly got a role. Um, I do like the art. believes whisper design is pretty interesting and the whole thing feels a lot more cohesive when you don't go from a style that looks more like um, Greg Capullo's Art to something totally different that is Alex Maleev's art, like you get in um, in Resolve. But so that I think helps the whole thing together. But Resolve is still the best story so far. I mean, yes, nice see Superman. Doesn't really do anything. Superman, there's no laser vision, no flying. He's just there. Um, So. Then we get to number six, ages. There's a large team here. I'm not entirely sure why. because So it's written by Marguerite Bennett, um, but the story is plotted by Bennett and uh, Scott Snyder. Wes Craig is on pencils. And then there's a big list of inkers. Craig Young, Drew Garassi, Wes Craig, Jack Purcell, Sandal Florea and Mark Deering. It's not that long a story. I don't know if they all inked one page each. I don't really know why there's that many. But it doesn't. It all seems quite consistent, just reading it. So I guess that's good. Uh, and Ian Hannon is the colourist. It's an interesting story, this one. And I'll say it now, it is my favourite of all eight. Um, it covers the effect Batman has had on Arkham Asylum through the lens of one of its original inmates, the Anchoress, who's basically Kitty Pride. She has quantum tunnelling abilities that allow her to walk through walls and enter people's minds. So she's Kitty Pride, but old. Old woman who's Kitty Pride in all but name and age. She's annoyed that basically Batman has turned Arkham Asylum into a prison for the insane, rather than a place of healing. And uh, to be fair, that is a pretty reasonable comment to make, especially there is a tiny bit of flashback in this story, as the anchoress sort of reveals a tiny bit about her past. Narcan's asylum looks quite nice for a mental hospital, admittedly, but she goes there of her own accord because she kills her parents. Um, Well, pretty much. She goes, it seems quite nice, but then uh, Batman shows up, Um, uh, there's a flashback to a bit in Zero Year where he's trying to find information on the Red Hood gang, Um, and basically since then Arkham Asylum has been going downhill, so she decides to go after him when Batman is there to test the security of a new wing. Um, That bit itself is quite cool. Um, there's a cool escape sequence of Batman using different tech and his skills to escape this wing, this, this new high security wing that the people of Arkham have built, um, linking his acts to his various roles. He's like, oh, there's um, pressure panel fours, but man, Bat could just fly, etc., etc. That bit. Very good. But the best bit about this story is the art. Um, I've never seen Wes Craig. On anything before but if I see his name again I will definitely be taking a look for me it was the perfect balance between um, realism and a more animated style I would definitely read this story again again it was my favorite one because it was interesting and two it was just really nice to look at Um, try and fit in with the younger kids chef's kiss as you all would say, um, yeah, where's Craig, 10 out of 10, and perhaps that entire team of inkers, that maybe you, you all had a role in producing that, well obviously you did, but was um, like a whole, you know, making it as good as it is, as soon as I started looking at it, even just from the first um, page on, this is great, ticks all the art boxes for me, which brings us on to story number seven which is quite a change in tone in both story-wise and in the art. It's written by Jerry Duggan with assistance in putting from Scott Snyder, the man in charge of it all, um, drawn by Matteo Scalera in a style that very much reflects the tone of the story um, and is coloured in an equally drab way by Lee Luffridge. I've written drab here on my notes but drab is a bit I don't mean, like, boring. I mean, it's all just very muted. There, yeah, that would be a better word. It's coloured in an equally muted way by Lee Luffridge. Um, so the meek sees a serial killer murdering homeless folk in the Narrows um, during the beginning chapters of Batman Eternal. You don't necessarily need to know it's during Batman Eternal. I didn't know it's during Batman Eternal. It's just something he says about... Selina being uh, the kingpin of crime and Jim Gordon in prison that tips you off that it's during Batman Eternal. Um, there's so much going on in his life, um, which we'll touch on slightly uh, in the next one. Um, Batman almost appreciates the simplicity of going after a Sulu killer, which he knows he can stop, and he does. In a sort of the end, reminded me. I know it's a single issue. But the end did remind me of some of the episodes of the most recent series of Doctor Who where it just happens. Batman just traps the, the guy that is the meek by um, pretending to be um, Leslie Tompkins. And it just happens. Um, he uh, doesn't no, you know, see him go to Leslie Tompkins. It just, oh, there we go. The end. Um, it ties slightly to the previous one with the presence of Eric Border. He was he had his first day as an orderly at Arkham Asylum uh, during that entire ages story. Um, it was very nice looking, but very very simple story. Can't complain. It was good. Nothing amazing to report with the meek there. Um, but yeah, it was good, which brings us on to number eight the last part of uh volume six graveyard shift gotham eternal written by scott snyder and james tinian the fourth with dustin Nguyen on pencils inked by derek Fridolfs, and colored by john Calise. um this story annoyed me greatly It's set slap bang in the middle of Gotham Eternal, and that's a drawback because this story here is basically just an advert for that. If you want a single issue plot that begins and then ends, like the seven previous stories that followed, you won't find it here. Harper Row finds herself in the only casino left open in Gotham to speak to the new kingpin of crime. At this point, she has taken on the identity of Bluebird. Um, and she's there as a ploy to get Batman into this casino. They're working together. They fight some goons, meet Selina Carr, who then is the Kingpin, um, who reveals she has the MacGuffin. Everybody's looking for Stephanie Brown, aka the spoiler, the end. And it actually ends by saying continued in Gotham um Batman Eternal. Um yeah, I think I said Gotham Eternal. It's something in the middle of Batman Eternal. This story is Gotham Eternal, and that's a bad thing. Um, I haven't read Batman Eternal, so I had a lot of questions. When did Harper overcome Bluebird? Why is she so well trained? Something which Batman actually makes a comment about in this story. Why Selina running the Gotham underworld? Why is everybody looking for spoiler? None of these questions are answered here, except maybe why is she so well trained? She makes a comment about um, uh, blaming the uh, site, the um, the other members of the Bat-family. Um, yeah, I was like, why is any of this happening? Fortunately, Toy Story on YouTube provided a 90 minute video of the entire um, Batman Eternal story, which I watched. And that's how I knew that the Meek was set during Batman Eternal. Then things made sense. Arthur row was trained by Red Robin. Selina Carr is running the Gotham Underworld um, because of something her father said. Um, why is everyone looking for spoiler? Because her dad, it turns out, is behind it all, sort of. Um, I prefer when trade paperbacks offer a complete story, or in this case, stories. But Gotham in Returns' inclusion here annoys me because it stops that. If it wasn't included, if you have seven stories that, you know, their own thing, they don't, they don't need to read something else, you don't need to buy something else, there it is. But here, you read that last one, you're like, oh, what? What's happening? I, I guess I have to go buy Gotham Eternal. Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal. This is Gotham Eternal. Gotham Eternal takes place Batman Eternal. Yes. I mean... The story wasn't bad, I guess. The art looked nice. It was very animated, as I prefer. There was a bit of a hiccup where half a row on the first page looks about like 10 years old. So much so, I thought that maybe this was like some sort of flashback. But then you turn the page, like, oh no, she is still a teenager. But the whole story here just soured um, volume six for me quite a bit um so yeah nothing more we need to say on that number six Age, is my, was my favorite followed by number three resolve all the other ones were just okay different art styles to look at so you know it's a nice looking book in terms of variety but i just can't get over that gotham just it bothered me quite a lot. Um, I understand you know, usually you know, you read a trade book, perhaps ends on a moderate cliffhanger, like, like, I don't know, like, like volume three, it ended on a blackout of Gotham and then the Riddler showing up. Okay, that's fine, that's a cliffhanger, but the whole of Volume 4 makes sense. You know, it's, it's a complete story that ends on a tantalising thing for the next thing. Like a Marvel movie, you know, the movie is a complete story and then there's the post credit scene that teases the next thing. That's how I consider that. But this isn't really that. It's just, it's more like a backup issue that you put maybe in the bank of something, you know, Buy this, if you want. But I'll I'll stop whinging about it. I mean, I've read it now. I won't be reading it again. Unless I guess buy Gotham Eternal. Um, As with all these Batman trades, it ends with some variant covers. Nothing outstanding to report, in my opinion. There's a Steampunk Batman by Howard Chaikin and Jesus Arbuto. That was my favourite. All the other ones, just okay. Yeah. Of the six volumes, this is my least favourite of the New 52 Batman. I still want to go back to a story that's set after number three, which I presume is the next one, because the next one's got the Joker in it again. Um Batman Endgame. So, I'm pretty certain that's set after number three, but this was Side detour. I don't know why it was published as number six. If I was in charge of publishing at DC Comics at the time, I would perhaps done what one to nine, taking this one out, so actually ten becomes nine, etc. And then put this at the end, perhaps make it slightly longer and have more stories in it from different parts. But they haven't done that, so. You know, can't complain about what wasn't done, I suppose. Well, I suppose you can, I just did. Um, Yeah, and that's that. This one's not, episode's not particularly long, I don't think. 30 minutes or so, because I haven't really got much to say on Batman Volume 6, Graveyard Shift. Um, But I do want to talk about the show and the one person that probably listens to these. Um, and I'll find out, because of what I'm about to say. So, in my big stack of tray paperbacks I've got next to my bed, the next one down is um, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, Volume 1. Um, but I was wondering whether this show would work better if I did entire runs in one go? So next month would be Batman Volume 7, then after that, I means one eight, volume ten. That'll be the end of that. And then move on to Hawkeye. Do that. I mean, obviously, there will be... I'm sorry, I won't be able to do something like The Walking Dead for years. They'll be making episodes on Walking Dead trade paperbacks for years. Or like um, Hellboy or something. I mean, I mean, decades worth, if you include BPRD and stuff like that. So if you do listen to this, you can tweet me at happyman778. You'll know it's me because there's basically just PhD things there. But, you know. Um, and just tell me what you'd prefer. Entire runs or just random stories here and there. Cause I will like, we'll pick up, um, volume well, seven. I don't currently own it. Cause I was on Amazon this morning. It's like, do I buy it now? I already have a lot to read, so don't I? Maybe do I wait till I read the ones I already have? Um, so I, it's the fate is in your hands, dear listener. And listener, I probably mean that in the singular rather than listener as a plural. But um, yeah, so this has been episode two of uh, of PhD student reads. I know the show still has a lot of issues in terms of sound and structure, and basically everything about it, including release schedule, because I sort of get these done in between PhD things and this whole uh, isolation coronavirus thing, really mix some things up in terms of uh, doing them. So yeah, so, yeah it's, it's, it's monthly. This is the April one. There was one in March and in February, was there, I think. Um, So the next one will be in May, I hope. Um, Yeah. So thank you for sticking with me, those of you that have, that aren't my girlfriend. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, enjoy doing whatever it is you do and... uh, I look forward to speaking to you on the next one.